Good morning, church. Scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. If you'd like to use the blue pew Bible that's in front of you or behind you, you can find the passage on page 527. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 1 in its entirety. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throwing your lot among us, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, 
and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let me pray for us once more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides soul and spirit. And so we ask that your word, as it is preached this morning, would indeed search our hearts and to find areas in our lives in which we still have yet to submit to you, and that by the power of your spirit, that we would live our lives so that we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray, amen. The film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade puts Indiana Jones, an archaeology professor by day, and an adventurer by night on a quest to find the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail refers to a cup, or the cup, that Jesus used on the evening of the Last Supper, the night that he was betrayed. It is believed that whoever drinks from this cup, whoever drinks from it, would be able to obtain eternal life. And so the Nazis, as well as Indy and his friends, are on this quest to find the Holy Grail. Now, in one of the last scenes of the film, Indiana Jones faces one last challenge. He stands in a room filled with cups and chalices. Now, there is an aged crusader who is overseeing this particular challenge. The challenge is this, that amongst all these cups, you have to be able to choose the Holy Grail. Now, how do you know if you have chosen the right cup? If you drink from the cup, the right cup, then you will live. But if you drink from the wrong cup, then you will die a horrible death. And then the aged crusader advises Indy, gives him this advice, choose wisely. So the first person to go and choose a cup is Indy's adversary. He goes and chooses a cup that is plated in gold, studded with jewels, and he takes a drink from this chalice, and immediately he dies. The crusader comments, he chose poorly. Now it's Indy's turn. He has to choose a cup. But Indiana Jones has some wisdom. He knows that Jesus is a carpenter. So he needs to choose a cup that a carpenter would use. So out of all these ornate cups, he looks for the most plain, most common, most everyday cup. And the only way to find out if it's the Holy Grail is to drink from it. So he takes a drink and he waits. He's alive. The crusader comments, you have chosen wisely. Now, I think the crusader has some advice for all of us, that we need to choose wisely. Now, I know that many of our choices are not between life and death, but oftentimes our choices are between good choices and better choices. That there are good things we ought to do, and there are better things that we ought to do. And we face choices every day. Life bombards us with decisions, with choices. 
When we go into work, what project should we work on? What email should we answer first? When we receive letters of admission to different colleges, which college should I go to? When my child refuses to eat her dinner, what should I do? When my son forgets curfew and comes home late, what should I do? There's a person that I am interested in. How should I go about asking them out? Or maybe someone asks you out. Then the question is, what do I say? And we face choices every day. So how do we make these choices? How do we make wise decisions? How do we make wise choices? And it begins with being a wise person. So the question then we have to ask ourselves is how do we become wise? How do we become wise according to the Bible? To answer this question, how do we become wise, we've turned to the book of Proverbs, in which we have begun a series. Now, in this opening verse of chapter 1, we know that many of the literature within the book of Proverbs is written by a king, a king by the name of Solomon, the son of David, who rules over Israel. Now, while Proverbs is a compilation of wisdom literature from Israel, a majority of its literature is written by Solomon. And we learned last week that the reason why Solomon is well-equipped to write much of the book of Proverbs is because he had been granted wisdom from God. And that God had given wisdom beyond his years. And he puts this wisdom down in the book of Proverbs. Now, in this first section of Proverbs, from chapter 1 to chapter 9, it's a compilation of certain messages that Solomon had given about wisdom. And so chapter 1 through chapter 9 seem to be a series of speeches, while chapters 10 to the end are a series of sayings and different literature that also talk about wisdom. Now, if we look at Proverbs chapter 1, we see that it's addressed to his son. Uh, we see this in verse 8 and verse 15, as well as verse 10 in Proverbs chapter 1. So if you haven't turned there, please turn there with me. Proverbs chapter 1. And we will read of Solomon's address to his son. Now in this chapter, we see that Solomon shares with us four different requirements to becoming wise. That there are four different qualifications, certain things that we need in order to become wise. And he shares it with us through this message to his son. So what is this first requirement? What is this first thing that we need in order to become wise? Becoming wise requires training. It requires discipline. It requires practice. Becoming wise first requires training. Now, as Solomon is addressing his son, you must wonder, where do we get this idea of training? Well, if you look at verse 2, the first half of this verse, it says, to know wisdom and instruction. The word instruction has this idea of discipline, of being able to practice, to train oneself. 
Someone has once put it that verse 2 refers to disciplined wisdom, that wisdom is learned through training. Now, what type of training, what are the elements of this training? Because Solomon teaches his son that there are different aspects to this training. Well, the first aspect is this, that wisdom requires training to perceive options. It needs to be able to perceive the different possibilities that exist. And where do we get that from? Well, if you look at the latter half of verse 2, there's the word used, insight, to understand words of insight. And insight could be also rendered or even translated this idea of words of perception, to be able to perceive and to be able to see the different possibilities that exist. One person may ask the question when they receive a job offer or two job offers, they may ask themselves the question, which job pays more? They only see the one question. But a person that is able to perceive with greater insight doesn't just ask one question, they ask many questions. Not only which job pays more, but which job would allow me to be closer to my family? Which job has the better work-life balance? Which job really has an atmosphere where I'm able to grow in different skills and different abilities? Which job has a team of people that I would like to work with? That a person who is wise has the ability to perceive the different options that exist. That is the training that wisdom requires. Now, not only does wisdom require training to perceive options, but wisdom also requires training to grow in character. We see this in verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. That wisdom is not just about making decisions, it's about the decisions you make that shape your character and shape who you are. That is, your character that then becomes the lens by which you see different decisions. You become more righteous, just, and fair. That these are character qualities that you will develop as you train in wisdom. And going back to that idea of looking for a job and you having these two job options, your character will determine which job would allow me to bring greater flourishing to the community in which I'm working and even greater flourishing to the people who use the products or even the services that I'm able to provide. That wisdom requires training to grow in character. But wisdom also requires training in another aspect. Wisdom requires training in the ability to weigh different options, to be able to see which option has more weight, has more value than other options. Uh, we see this in verse 4 through this word prudence. Verse 4 says this, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. This idea of prudence is the ability to weigh different possibilities and see which one is more valuable to consider than others. Think back into considering those two job options. Which questions do you value? Which questions do you weigh more? If you are in student debt, then you may think, which job pays more? because I need to be able to pay off my debt. Maybe if you have family and you know that you have young kids 
and you have more responsibilities at school, you may weigh the question, which has a proper work-life balance? Maybe if you have aged parents, you may ask the question, which job allows me to be closer in proximity with my family so I can care for them? That wisdom is the ability to weigh those options that you have and to see which ones require more weight. Being wise requires training. And so when you are trained in wisdom, you will learn what to do in different situations. Then different circumstances and different dilemmas or even problems that you face, you'll begin to know how best to weigh options and make the best decisions. Now, there's a variety of decisions that you may face. There are some decisions that are moral, and those are pretty black and white. Let's say you're a student and you have to turn in a reading report that at the end of the semester, you have to report to your professor how much of this book have you actually read. Now, some of you, because you are busy, you may not have been able to read the full book. And so now you're facing a question. How much do I report? Do you actually report what you actually read? Or do you report 100% even though you didn't read all of it because you've promised God that once you turn in this report, I'm going to finish reading the rest? But this is a moral decision. There is a right and wrong decision. The word says, you shall not lie. That you have to have a life in integrity. That the right thing to do at that moment is to report actually how much you have read. Now, there are situations that are amoral, meaning that there's no moral element to it. Let's say after Sunday school today, you go to the grocery store in order to meal prep for this week you have a variety of options in what to buy. The Bible doesn't say you need to buy this much vegetables, you need to buy this much meat, you need to buy this much carbs in, for, in order for you to go home and prep your meals for this week. But if you're wise, you'll know that there are certain things that will influence your decisions. Maybe you're allergic to certain foods, a biological allergy, or even preferred allergies. Food that you do not like to eat will determine your choices. And even if you choose poorly, it may be detrimental to your health. Let's say if you have high cholesterol, you will not buy red meat or as much of it. There are different things that will influence your decisions, but wisdom is knowing what will influence them. And so oftentimes the situations that we face do not have a moral element to it. Even when you get off from work and you're trying to go home, you know that the quickest route may be to take the highways and the freeways, but you know at that moment, there's going to be traffic. So maybe the wise thing at that moment is to ignore your GPS and learn what are the back roads that will get me home faster, that those decisions do not have a moral element to them. So then how do we train ourselves in wisdom? Because it's a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong practice to train in wisdom. One of the things that we can do is to be able to join a community group, especially this year as we're going through the book of Proverbs, that we have an opportunity to dialogue and to talk about how wisdom might apply in different contexts and different situations. Another way that we can train in wisdom is even consider reading through the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. If you read one chapter each day of a month, 
you should be able to finish the book of Proverbs within a month. And another suggestion is to read the book of Proverbs with some devotional help. Now, a devotion that has greatly helped me is a book written by Tim Keller titled God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. That it provides an excerpt from the book of Proverbs, a short devotional, and also a prayer that might help you better understand wisdom that is found here in this book. So what is the first requirement in becoming wise? Becoming wise requires training. What's the second requirement? Becoming wise requires the right kind of teachers. It re requires the right instructors, the right people to teach us that becoming wise requires the right teachers. Now Solomon teaches his son to listen to certain teaching, the teaching of his parents rather than to the teaching of sinners. We see this in verse 8 to verse 19. So let me focus first on why is it important to listen to parents. Solomon writes this in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Solomon is writing here saying that not only is it your father's instruction that you listen to, but also your mother's teaching as well. That the parents have a responsibility to teach wisdom to their children because they should have experience that is beyond the years of their child. That both father and mother have this responsibility. So it's no surprise that when we read through the book of Deuteronomy, where is it that Israel is supposed to learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's from the parents that the parents of Israelite children have the responsibility to teach their children to love God. And when parents are able to teach their children wisdom, Solomon describes it as a graceful garland and pendants. And these are things that you would receive when you, re when you win an athletic competition, that you receive this prize, this garland on your head to show and demonstrate to everyone that you have overcome, that you have won. And likewise, when a child is wise, it is like he is wearing wisdom, that people will recognize it, that people will see it, and people will be able to acknowledge it. Then Solomon contrasts the wisdom of parents to the teaching of sinners. For the teaching of sinners leads to destruction. Uh, we see the warning that Solomon gives to his son in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not follow their advice. Do not follow their instructions because Solomon paints a picture here of sinners plotting to kill an innocent person to be able to get what he has that these sinners may tempt the son to be able to obtain what he wants by the quick and easy way. That once you begin your, your journey on this path to sinful behavior, forever will it dominate your life. And Solomon warns his son, do not go down that path. Do not go down the path of following sinners. And even though sinners may tempt you by thinking, 
well, we'll share the profits with you. We see this in verse 14. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. We will share whatever we get from this guy that we kill. And one has to wonder if they're willing to team up and to gang up and ambush this innocent person, what makes you think that they're going to share whatever spoils that they're going to get? It's unwise. There's an irony to it. And he reiterates this warning in verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Because Solomon also compares the lifestyle of these sinners to birds. Uh, We see this in verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Birds, if they see a net, will avoid it. They will flee from it. But sinners, when they see the trap that is before them, they walk right into it. It reminds me of a story of an attempted robbery at a Lowe's home improvement store that went awry. The perpetrator, his name was Milton J. Hodges. He fled across the street, jumped the fence right into Cypress Cove Nudist Resort and Spa. The Orlando Sentinel, the newspaper, points out as one of the only folks wearing clothing, Hodges was easily spotted by the police. Crime does not pay. He was not very wise. That even though he had committed the crime, he fled to the wrong place. Crime does not pay. Sin does not pay. And that's why Solomon warns his son to avoid the path of a sinner. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to be able to find the right teachers. We need to find the right instructors. Now, some of these teachers, some of these instructors may be your family members. They may be your parents. Now, I know oftentimes we think, man, but my parents, they don't oftentimes give good advice. But think about it. Who was it who taught you how to brush your teeth? Who was it that taught you how to ride that bicycle for the very first time? Who was it that taught you to say, please, thank you? It was your parents. And if you as parents go home after service and tell your children, now listen to the sermon this Sunday morning. Listen to your parents. Then you have to ask yourselves, did you also listen to your parents as well? Because that same advice applies to us as parents, that you as parents also had a responsibility to listen to your parents, for they have wisdom. Now, it may not just be your parents, but it also may be extended family. I know that for myself, extended family played a big part in my spiritual development. They taught me the gospel. They answered difficult questions for me, like what's the difference between murder and killing someone in war? How do you answer that question as a believer? Or they even taught me that when I went off to college, that you should look for a good Christian fellowship to have good community. That oftentimes, family is a source of wisdom. But also that there may be members of our church that might be able to share wisdom with you. For those of you who desire to get into a relationship, maybe you ought to spend some time with those people who are married and to ask them for advice. How would you go about it? What did you consider? What did you do? for they may have wisdom. And for those of you who are considering different professions, there are plenty of those here at our church who understand what it means to be in different professions. 
whether it be in medicine or engineering or law or teaching or social work, that if you desire to pursue these different professions, something you might want to consider is spending time with these people and asking what does it require to work in these fields. To become wise requires us to find the right teachers. So we talked about training, we talked about finding the right teachers, but the third requirement is this, that becoming wise requires knowing the consequences of ignoring wisdom. We need to be able to know what will happen to us if we ignore what wisdom says. Now Solomon describes to his son the consequences of those who ignore wisdom. Now there are two people that Solomon calls out. He calls out the simple, and he calls out the foolish. But first, he begins by describing what does wisdom do. Wisdom cries out to us, even though we may not be listening. She shouts, and yet we do not hear. And we see this in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. And if you notice the different locations that are mentioned here, the street, the markets, the entrance of the city gates, these are places that are well populated with people. And wisdom cries out to get people's attention, and yet there are people who ignore her. The simple and the foolish. So what happens when the simple ignore wisdom? It leads to disaster. Now, this word, simple, refers to a person who is naive, that they really don't know what to do when given a choice, when given a decision, that they are hesitant to be able to choose because what is going on in their mind is, what will people think? That oftentimes those who are simple are influenced by the opinions and by the thoughts of other people, that they can't choose what is right because they're always wondering, what will other people think of me if I do this? And oftentimes, in our youth, we are very simple-minded because we care about what people think, about what we wear, about what we say, what we do. And when we look back in our youth, we wish that there are certain things that we did not do. We wish that we didn't follow through with that dare to do some certain dangerous thing that resulted in a broken bone. We wish that we didn't do that. We wish that we didn't buy certain things that now are collecting dust in our closets just because we could be with the in crowd. When we look back, there were times when we are simple-minded. But if we continue to be simple-minded, if we continue to think more about what people think, it will lead to disaster. Uh, we see this in verse 26 to 27. There's two words that are used, calamity and terror. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you that these things, disastrous things, will come upon you if we remain simple-minded. Now, you must think that wisdom laughing is not very nice. We see this in verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity. It's as though we see wisdom mocking us as we make these mistakes. But this idea of laughter here isn't so much as mocking as this laughing at silliness, the silliness of the simple-minded. 
We laugh when a child shakes his or her cup thinking that they might be able to get another drop of orange juice or apple juice out of it, even though you know it's empty. It's that type of silliness that wisdom laughs at us at. Now, Solomon also talks about another type of person, the foolish. And when the foolish ignore wisdom, they will experience wisdom's silence while receiving their just desserts. That wisdom will no longer avail herself to the foolish. Now, who are the foolish? The word the fool occurs plentiful times within the book of Proverbs. And the fool refers to someone who ignores knowledge, ignores wisdom. A person who thinks more about themselves than about what wisdom says. That it's all about them because they know what is right. And then, in those moments when they suffer the consequence of their decision, wisdom will not answer them. Wisdom will not help them. We see this in verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. And verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. That the fool will then receive their just desserts. They will receive the fruit of the decisions that they make because they were too proud and too arrogant to listen to wisdom. So what do we need to do if we know that those who ignore wisdom will experience serious consequences? Well, we need to be able to learn from the mistake of others. Now, you may say, well, where do we see that? Well, oftentimes we see Jesus providing examples for us not to follow, that we should not be like a person who ignores the word of God and builds his house on sand, because when the storms come, our house will wash away. We should not be like the Pharisees who pray public long prayers, but instead we should pray in secret. We should not fast so that people know that we're fasting, but we should fast in a way that people don't even know. That Jesus provides for us examples not to follow, to learn from these individuals' mistakes. And so something that we need to do is to learn from the mistake of others as well as the mistakes that we've made. That when we ask people, so what are things that you would have done differently? That we will learn from things that they may have made a mistake in. Maybe it might be in the area of relationships. That when they look back, they think while they were dating, they wish that they spent more time pursuing the Lord. Or maybe they wish that they maintained stronger physical boundaries because intimacy went too quickly. Or they may say that, I wish that I knew to date a believer rather than a non-believer because it just made my life so much more difficult. Or maybe it might be that in a long-distance relationship that we need to talk more than once a week, that there are mistakes that people have made that we can learn from. I know that something that was shared with us often in seminary is that you ought to care for your family first because there are many students who, because they wanted good grades in seminary, lost families. Not families because of physical death, but families because of divorce. And I don't know if these stories were real, but they put the fear of God in me every time I heard them in chapel or in class. And this was something that I wanted to learn from, especially after I got married. 
So learn from the mistake of others. Learn rather than ignore. So what is the fourth thing that is required of us to become wise? Becoming wise requires a fear of the Lord. Now Solomon teaches his son that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. We see this in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That those of us who want to become wise have to learn to fear the Lord. Now, when we think of the word fear, we think of something that is negative because fear produces some fright within us. But I'd like to share with you that fear produces either selfishness or reverence. Now, what do I mean by selfishness? Now, oftentimes when we're afraid, it produces within us a desire to protect ourselves. When we see a ball thrown at us, if we're afraid, we tend to duck or cover our face or try to avoid it because we don't want to be hurt. Or oftentimes, because we fear hurting someone, we tend to avoid them. We don't want to build a deep relationship with them because we're afraid. That is a selfish type of fear. But the fear of the Lord is a fear that is one that reveres. Because fear also causes us to revere someone. I remember at Urbana, I was at this student mission conference, and I was standing in line to get my book, Radical, written by David Platt, to be signed by David Platt. I was standing in line, and I was sharing with my friend, I can't believe he's just sitting right there. Like, this is David Platt, the pastor, the speaker, the wonderful person that has influenced my life for good, and I can't believe I'm going to be speaking to him. And I was holding this book, radical with fear and trembling, not knowing what David Platt's going to say to me because I didn't want to disappoint him. And my friend who was listening to me in this moment of trembling and awe said to me, you do know that he's a sinner just like the rest of us, right? And I was like, oh, you just killed this moment of reverence, right? But that is the type of fear that we're talking about, that we have a reverence for someone, and we're talking about a reverence for God, that we're afraid to disappoint, to let this particular person down. And do we as believers recognize that we have been loved so much by the Lord that we're also afraid to disappoint Him? Now, this idea of fear of the Lord begins in Proverbs chapter 1, but it's also in chapter 9 as well. So it seems to be that Solomon is saying that if you want to be wise, it begins and also ends with a fear of the Lord. So then how do we develop a fear of the Lord? Now, for those of you who are non-believers, you have to be able to understand the gap that exists between you and God. That no matter what kind of moral standard that you have set for yourself, you have to realize that you're unable to fulfill it. And if you're not even able to fulfill the moral standard that you have for yourself, then you're more than unable, you can't be able to fulfill the standard that God has for us. And this is what we Christians call sin. And it should create within us a fear of what God will do to us, that the consequence of that sin is eternal separation from Him and also eternal torment. And for you to be able to understand that, and that should put a fear in you. But there's also hope that that gap 
that chasm that exists has been bridged by Christ. But because Christ, the wisdom of God, died on a cross for our sins, that that gap has now been bridged. And that for those of us who are believers, we develop a reverence for God because God has closed that gap between God and man in Christ. That when we think about our relationship with the Lord through Christ, it should create within us a great sense of gratitude, a great sense of thankfulness. That we think about the holiness of God, we can't help but wonder, how could God have a relationship with me, a wretched sinner, that every time I want to speak the truth, I speak lies. That every time I desire purity, I pursue impurity. That every time I want to love someone, I end up not being gentle. How could you, God, have a relationship with me? And yet then you look to the cross and realize that because of what Christ has done, God welcomes us into relationship with him. And it's only when you begin to have that reverence for God, that fear of the Lord, does your journey to wisdom begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We recognize that many of us need wisdom in our lives, especially with the decisions and the choices that we face. And we ask that your spirit who dwells within us would create within us a great awe of you, a great fear of the Lord, so that we would desire to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you, so that the decisions that we have to make each day, we would make them out of this fear and out of this reverence for you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.